Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Mark chapter 8 this morning. We're going to take just a few minutes and go to Mark chapter 8 and look at a passage. Um, I think at least part of it is somewhat familiar to you, where Peter is rebuking our Lord, and then our Lord rebukes him. This passage, the the, the phrase, get thee behind me, Satan, is what he says. Uh, But we'll look at that in just a moment here. And um, we'll begin in chapter 8, verse uh, verse 27 is where our text will pick up. But I want to, well, I think think the best thing for me to do right now is just pray so I can ask the Lord to help me with this, and then I'll get into the thought. Let's do that for a moment. Lord, I need your help this morning. I, I want to be clear. I want to be correct. And I want to help these people see what you've done. I mean, John Mark just sang, sang a song about what you've already done for us, God. Help me to not obscure that very beautiful, very plain, very clear message, but instead to make it sharp and super clear that you're the one that we follow. Help us to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a religious movement in our nation right now. It's been around for a while. It seems to have gotten stronger in some ways. It's called uh, the Word of Faith movement. You might be familiar with it. Um, I will just go ahead and tell you in case there's any, cons- any question about what I believe about it. I believe that this Word of Faith movement preaches a demonic and damning false gospel that turns our God into a cosmic sugar daddy as if he is at our beck and call. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, there is uh, actually something, and I don't do this a lot, but I'll go ahead and do this. There's a movie on Netflix currently, and you can go look at it. It's called American Gospel. And it does a very good job of explaining the problem with this uh, movement. It does a very good job of it, and it is as biblically an accurate thing you're ever going to watch on Netflix, I can tell you that. It's better than Andy Griffith in terms of that goes. I'll tell you that right now. It's more theologically correct than Andy Griffith, and he's got some problems. <laughs> but no, it's good. It's good, really, I promise you. But you know these people as faith healers. You know them as people say, sow your seed, and God's going to bless you. There's a sort of a positive thinking. You get your best life now. You've got to walk in your purpose, all these kinds of things, which have some roots of truth. Please understand me. There's some roots of truth to it. But what they're doing is they are taking it and turning God into essentially our, our short order cook. God, what are you going to do for me? And you may not be deceived by the likes of Osteen and Dollar and Copeland. Those are men in the movement, leaders of the movement. But that movement shows up even in our mainstream churches. I would say even a church like McConnell Road Baptist Church. Let me explain. Often we will put money in an offering plate in hopes that God's going to bless us. Now, don't get me wrong. God does bless those who give. I understand that. But if that's the reason you're putting it in the offering plate, you've missed the point altogether. 
we also happen to believe that God approves of whatever my politics happen to be. No matter that the Democratic platform undermines church authority, undermines marriage, and supports and endorses the killing of babies. Never mind that the Republican platform, if taken to its end, end is racist crooks with a bunch of adulterers at the helm. And by the way, just so I'm an equal opportunity, yes, I, am, uh, I happen to be more libertarian in my beliefs, even though the, the libertarian platform is a bunch of pot-smoking anarchists. <laughs> We're all messed up. And the point of it is, what I'm trying to get you to see is God is not identifying with your politics. Unfortunately, we like to think he believes the way, he votes the way we vote. It's this idea that God is all about making me happy. I'm good as long, I, I'm, I'm, if I'm good, excuse me, if I'm good, he's going to be happy with me as long as I'm a good person and he will reward me for my good deeds. And we're all good with, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on, God's good with my guns and old glory or God's good with that soft, kind, everybody's okay kind of love. Depending on where you are, you're on one end of those spectrum or not, I just don't know. But you see, God... God is not made in our image. I don't know if you know the Bible, it says he, we were made in his image. And Psalm 50 says that, the psalmist says in Psalm 50, thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one of thyself. He says, y'all thought I was like you. He said, no, nah, I ain't like you. I'm God. And this sort of half-hearted discipleship is what Jesus is exposing in this passage. This sort of idea that I can get what I want out of God because God likes me as long as I do what he wants me to do. It's missing the boat altogether. And I want you to see this in this passage. It begins in verse 27 of chapter 8 where he says that Jesus, or the scripture says that Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples saying unto them, and here's the question he asked them, who do men say that I am? Who are, what are people talking about? How are they referring to me is what he's asking. He wants to know how they're talking about him. Well, they answer in verse 28. And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias or Isaiah, or Elias, or Elijah, excuse me, Elijah, or others, one of the prophets. You know what they said? They said, some people are saying, you're like one of those old prophets that they used to know. And by the way, when I say that, it's not a disparaging remark. Don't misunderstand that. They're actually saying they like the old prophets. They like those guys. They're like, you remind us back when what granddaddy used to hear. That's kind of what they were saying. It's, by the way, exactly what they thought when they heard John the Baptist. If you were to go over to chapter 6 and look at verses 14 and 15, you'll see that they say almost exactly the same thing about John the Baptist. John, you're just like those old preachers back in the day. That's what they were saying. They were nostalgic for the old paths, if I can use that phrase. They were nostalgic for those old paths. But Jesus calls them out on their garbage in Matthew chapter 23, where he says, listen, your daddy killed them prophets, and you'd have done the same thing if you'd have been alive today. I think we often want to see, we often want to paint Jesus as the next great thing, whatever that thing was. 
You see, <laughs> they didn't like Charles Spurgeon when he preached for the Metropolitan Tabernacle. We like him today. He's, he's everybody's golden child, but they, they hated him. Can I go further? Can I just go ahead and point where it hurts right now? The southern people, the people in the south, religious people in the south, absolutely hated Charles Spurgeon. You know why? Because he was preaching against slavery when slavery was cool. He, was, he didn't like it, and they didn't like him. We want the next Charles Spurgeon, but Jesus ain't the next Charles Spurgeon. I want you to know that. Jesus is not the next Billy Graham. He's not the next Ronald Reagan, for those of you that liked him. Not the next Barack Obama, for those of you that liked him. He's not the next reformer, Luther, Calvin, and Swingley. We wouldn't let most of these men in our pulpits today, so why would we hold them up as honorable people? But that's what we're looking for. We want the next one. He's not the best or the next leader, the next teacher, the next orator, the next financier. He is not the next best thing. He's not a throwback to what used to be. Some of us are so focused on what used to be, and we are ready for Jesus to come back and reinstate what we, and by the way, it wasn't, the good old days weren't all that good, by the way. Just can I just remind you that? I'm not saying you didn't have some good people and there weren't some good men and some good women and good mamas and daddies. I'm not saying anything about your family. I'm just saying you go back, if you really remember what, what it was back then, they had the same old mess we got today. They had the same problems we got today. And Jesus is not coming to take us back. That's not what he's doing. It's not what he's doing at all. He is better. He's better than anything that ever was. He's not one of the old preachers. He's not one of the old prophets. He's better than them. He's better than Moses, which they would have held up to be the greatest of prophets. He's better than anything you can imagine. He is in a completely different category. So who do they say I am? Well, they say you're one of the old prophets. And, he, and then he goes on, keep on reading in verse 29, and then he turns to them. He's already asking what other people say, but look what he says in verse 29. But whom say ye that I am? Now, who y'all think I am? I know what everybody says. Well, what do you say that I am? Peter rather says, look what he says. Peter answereth and said unto him, thou art the Christ. Now we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. This is good. The Christ. That is, uh, we unfortunately sometimes by habit or whatever, we almost think of Christ as Jesus' last name. It's not his last name. My name is Tilly because my daddy's name was Tilly, but Christ is not a name. It is a title. It is who he is. He is Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the anointed one. He is the one for whom the whole world groans. That's what Christ means. He is that, the promised one. Jesus, unfortunately, though, when they say he is the Christ, they were seeing him, yes, as the Christ, the promised one, but as the start of the next new thing. They saw Jesus, or rather the Christ, not just Jesus. Jesus, of course, Peter's acknowledging him as the Christ, but he, they saw the Messiah as the great king, the great warrior, the great priest, the one who would come right all the wrongs. He would fix everything. He would come in and fix everything. He would fix everything that Peter saw was wrong. By the way, let's, let's just acknowledge the truth here for just a minute. That I would say probably the majority of the people in this room, because I know how y'all think about a lot of things. We've talked a little bit. I would say the majority of the people in this room, if we were to fix things according to you, that the majority of the people that are out in the streets right now fussing and fighting would not be real happy with your fix. 
and vice versa. Those people, if they got what they wanted, y'all wouldn't be real pleased with it. You understand what I'm saying? Why I'm saying this is not to make a comment about them as much as to say that Jesus didn't come to give us our heart's desire. And thank the Lord for that. Because by the way, forget those people out there, about half of us in here wouldn't be happy with the fix, with that the other half has decided. Because I'm glad that the Lord doesn't give me my desire, I'm glad the Lord doesn't give you your desire, because if we did, about half this world would be burnt off the earth. Am I right? Because we want evil things, we want bad things, and what Peter is saying, yes, let's acknowledge that he is saying the right thing. Yes, Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. But in his mind, he was doing like all the other Jewish people were doing, like we often do. Yes, he's a good one. He's coming. He'll give me exactly what I want. He's going to fix the world the way I want. But Jesus didn't come to give you your heart's desires. You may reference that verse in Psalm 37, verse 4, that if you will delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Absolutely right. But if you will delight yourself in the Lord, that means something fundamentally has changed about your heart. Your heart, which was wicked and sinful and bad, that, that heart, which is, the Bible said, is deceitfully wicked, that thing cannot delight in the Lord. You need something to come in and transform you. You need someone who's going to come in and change, not the world, but you, from the inside out, reorient your desires so that you are completely and totally different. Because if he doesn't do that, Lord help us if he gives you the desires of your heart. Because the desires of your heart will destroy everyone in its path, including yourself. But when God comes in and he is the Messiah, he's setting not a setup for something better. He is that better thing. He transforms us so that we have good hearts, not giving us the desires of our hearts. Jesus did not come to be, bring us back to the good old days. He didn't come to set us up for something better in the future. And he certainly didn't come to make you feel better about yourself. Certainly, as we mentioned, Peter says here that thou art the Christ, and he is the Christ. If you were to go over to Matthew chapter 16, where this same incident is, is um, uh, shared in that, in that passage, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17, Peter says, thou art the Christ, and Jesus approves of his answer. He says, listen, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This has come to you by God. God has shared this with you, so you know this. He is approving of it because he is indeed the promise, the anointed one. But the reason I'm fussing at Peter for a minute is because clearly Peter's expecting something else. We're not done with this story. Look here with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse 30. After verse, after verse 29, he's told, Peter said he's the Christ. Verse 30, Jesus, he says, he charged them that they should not tell, they should tell no man of him. But then in verse 31, what does he do? He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus has just acknowledged he is the Christ. He's told Peter, yep, you're right. God showed you that. I am the Messiah. And oh, by the way, that means I'm going to go to a cross. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to rip my beard out. I'm going to be nailed to the cross. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried in a grave. Yes, three days later, I will come back again. But all that's got to happen. It will happen. 
Peter didn't like that. <laughs> Look at what he does. The next verse. Found my place here. Verse 32. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. At least, I, I don't fuss at people unless I'm upset with them. I mean, I, I, y'all, some of y'all might be that kind of person, but I'm not that kind of person. I'm only going to have, have an argument with you if I disagree with you, right? J Peter is disagreeing with Jesus. He says, I thought you were Messiah. Why you got to do all that? I, I wanted to feel good about this. I want you to understand that Jesus is not what you expect. We create these gods in our minds, this creation of God in our mind. And Jesus is not that. You know what Jesus is? He's a suffering servant. It says there in that, in that verse that he's got to suffer. He's the suffering servant. Now, see, when I say servant, I think, I don't know what y'all think, but I think somebody's going to do my bidding, my butler. <laughs> I've got things I want to do. Chop, chop, Jesus, get my stuff done. That's not what he's, no, he's the suffering servant. Do you know what that means, actually? That he is weak. That means that he is afflicted. That means that he is under oppression. That's what you, that doesn't sound very victorious to me. I want somebody to come in and forgive me, President Trump, make America great again. That's what I'm looking for. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be the suffering servant. I'm the suffering servant. I'm going to be weak. I'm going to be afflicted. He says that he is going to be rejected, a rejected priest. Now, now, when I think of a priest that's going to come in, again, I think of somebody who's got some honor, at least at one day in our, in our, at one point in our history of our country. I don't know that we're quite there like we used to be, but uh, we used to all, no matter what exact stripe of religion, there was some respect for the pastor, for the preacher, for the priest, for the minister, whatever that person was. There was always a sort of a level of respect. I, I think that has declined, and it's our own, own fault, our discredit, many ministers have sullied the name of minister but but there is this assumption that it is a, an elevated position so i think honor i think respect but here he says no no no. the the religious order of the day is going to turn against me they're going to reject me and again that doesn't feel very victorious that doesn't feel very honorable that doesn't feel very very respectful but he says you're going to be, i'm going to be a rejected priest now, now, Peter is looking for a king who would come in and rule everything. And when I think of a king, I think of somebody who's regal, somebody who's glorious, somebody who's in control. But he's going to be our crucified king. He is actually going to bear our shame. Y'all understand what I'm talking about when I say bear our shame? I'm not talking about sin in a, in a cosmic sort of general sense. I'm talking about that thing that you hope nobody ever finds out about. That thing that maybe people do know about and they hold over your head. That thing. Jesus says, I'm going to take that on myself. That's what I've come to do. I'm taking that shame. I'm taking that, that terrible embarrassment from you. I'm taking that myself and I'm going to take it on me. So that I'm going to take away, I'm going to take the suffering, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to take the shame, I'm going to be crucified, all of that so that we can be reconciled with God. That's the whole point of the cross, so that I now have a path to God. <laughs> it has nothing to do with money in my bank account, healing in my body, 
It has nothing to do with my feelings. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Now, does God heal? Does he give us good feelings? Does he give us uh, financial success? Yes, he can. Can I go further? Yes, he has. But let me tell you, that's not why he died. He died so that you can have him that you can actually have God himself so that you can go in. He didn't come in to fluff up your self-esteem. He didn't come in to applaud your humility and look at how wonderful your faith is. He has not come in to take your plans and say, huh, that's a pretty good idea. I think I'll do that. He didn't come in to come in to, to take your opinion on things. He came, he is God, and he has come to allow you to boldly enter into the throne room of God himself. You can talk to God because, because Jesus suffered, because he took your shame, because he was rejected. Yet Peter's sitting there saying, well, man, I don't like that because that don't make me feel good about myself. And, and, and I'm mocking Peter, but Matthew says, I don't like that because I don't feel good about myself. Things are bad right now, and I don't like this. I want this to change. I want that to change. I want something to stop. I want more to start. I, I can, I, and I'm, <laughs> y'all can't tell, I'm just reflecting what's going on in my head right now. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're missing the boat, Peter. You're missing the boat, Matthew. I came so you can be reunited with me. So, Jesus didn't come to get back to the good old days. He didn't come to set us up for something better. He didn't, make us, he didn't come to make us feel better. What did he do? He says, I want you to come and pick a side. You're with me or you're against me. Look at what, it, what he comes back with Peter in verse 33. So Peter rebukes him in verse 32 and then verse 33. And when he had turned about and looked at his disciples, so as best as I can tell here, Jesus is with the whole group of them. Peter has pulled him aside and Jesus kind of turns around and looks at the rest of the disciples and he says this to them. He rebukes Peter and saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not, thinking about you, you relish the things, not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Peter has a choice to make. God, or Jesus is calling him out. And what Jesus is saying says, Get thee behind me, Satan. He's saying that idea of get thee behind me is this idea of get in line. Some of you that have been in the military, you understand this idea of get in formation. Get in line. Get where you're supposed to be. He's saying your mind is on the wrong stuff. You're thinking about the wrong thing. You're thinking about man's things, not God's things. Who are you going to follow, Peter? Are you going to get in line behind me? Or are you following the devil? Which one are you after? And I want to turn that question to you here listening to what I'm saying. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ or are you a disciple of the devil? Will you fall into rank as a disciple? And you know what disciples do? Just like good soldiers, they follow. They do what they're told to do. They get in line. They follow their commanding officer. They don't like what they're having to deal with all of the time. In fact, most of the time they don't like it, but they're doing it because that's what disciples do. They obey their leader. They are not the ones sitting back, hey, boss man, I think I'd like to do this. I'm looking at Brother Matthew for a minute because I know he was in the army. Well, how, long, how far would that get you? 
if you start doing that. Let me tell you, I can't imagine that's going to get you any, definitely not going to get you any praise. It might get you a little abuse. You're not going to sit back and call the shots with our Father. You're not going to get to call the shots with God. You are a disciple. You get in line. You learn. You obey. Will you tune your mind into what a disciple's mind is tuned into? Not wanting your will, but his will. Or, as Peter, are you getting in his way? That's why he had to tell him, get behind me. Get out of my way. <laughs> You're in my way, man. You're longing for the wrong things. Your mind is on the things of men, not the things of God. As Joshua says in Joshua 24, choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the gods of this world that say that the most important thing in the world is how much money you've got in a bank account, how much credibility that people have, people look at you for your reputation? Or are you going to look at them to say that, your rep that, that, that who you are matters more about what you vote for and which politics you align yourself with? If that's what you want to do, then go ahead and follow the devil straight to hell. But instead, if you want to follow the one who made this world, you want to follow the one who bled and died so that you can have a relationship with him, then get in line, follow behind him, do what he says, and do the best you can with his spirit's help to get your mind in the right place, which is not yours, it's his mind. My invitation is very simple, and I'm closing. Will you follow Jesus? I want you to know, if there's someone that's listening, whether you're in this congregation or those that are on the live stream, I want to thank them for joining us. Jesus is calling you to follow him. He is not calling you to a better life. He is calling you instead to know him, to enjoy him, to be with him. And if you say, well, Matthew, that sure ain't a big sales job. Well, I'm sorry, that's all I got is God. And if that's not good enough for you, there is an eternal hell that will burn forever, and that will be your reward. But if Jesus is enough, if he is sufficient, he's calling you, come on, come with me, and I want to invite you to follow after Jesus. Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.